0: All right, we're in Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. This is the word of the Lord. Guys can have a seat. So glad you guys are here today. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Ben. I am uh, one of the pastors here, get to serve as uh, lead pastor here in Frontline Shawnee. Any guests in the room, man, we really are honored that you would be with us today. Uh, Please, please make yourself at home. It's important to us that you feel at home here. And so we really are glad that you would be with us. We have been preaching through uh, the gospel of Mark. And it's been several weeks that we've been in the Gospel of Mark, and we're taking a break from that this week. And here's why. Because I'm going to tell you something that will probably, maybe something that you have felt but haven't been able to identify. And that's this. The world is crazy. Somebody said, the world's crazy, but more important, let's drill down to what I mean by that I want to ask you a question we're going to diagnose some of what we mean by the world's kind of lost their mind I think most people would agree yeah it's a little crazy a little crazy out there but we have trouble kind of recognizing the craziness inside of us and here's why is because at our core we fold into the trap that was laid in Genesis 3 it is a trap It's what the Bible calls the lie. It's not a lie. It's the lie of lies. It's what every lie finds its root in is this lie. Did God actually say, don't eat of the tree? Did he say that you will die? Questioning God, questioning God's authority, questioning whether or not God's even actually good. It goes back to this Genesis moment and it's probably not lost on you or maybe it's not lost on me that questioning authority is a part of our natural life how many people in the room just love authority you just love it you trust all kinds every every type of authority somebody says i'm an authority over you and you're like man good i've been waiting for you you trust the government no problem trust them everybody Trust your parents. Trust every coach you've ever had. (laughs) Just trust everything about them. They're always going to make the perfect decision for you. They're never going to say anything weird or off or wrong. We struggle with authority, man. Some more than others. Everybody struggles with authority. And I'm telling you, I I am the biggest hypocrite of them all, me standing up here telling you, I know you struggle with authority. I'm preaching to myself. I am a rebellious dude, have always been. Anytime try, somebody tries to tell me what to do, or especially somebody tries to tell me what not to do, my first, my first response is not, is not, well, they're a good person. They're probably trying to keep me from harm. My first response is like, now hold on, what's your agenda? And whatever you tell me not to do, I'm, all I'm thinking about is I wonder what would happen if I did the thing they told me not to do. Anybody else like that in the room? That's me. That's all of us to some degree, man. We struggle with authority. Why do we struggle with it? The whole world struggles with authority. Even to the point to where you and I and the world believes that we are our greatest authority. That's what everybody thinks now. You are your highest authority. You are the authority highest court of appeals that's you you are the supreme court over your thoughts actions life identity who you sleep with how you treat people your career your family your decisions your actions your identity you are your highest authority And you have to do whatever you have to do in order to make yourself have a full life. And the only way that you can have a full life is if you decide what's good for you. And when anybody comes and tells you different, that you're wrong, that that's going to harm you, your job, because you're the highest authority, your job is to refuse them and to say things like, that's oppressive, that's abusive. You cannot tell me what to do, how to live, how to act. I decide that for myself. Why do we struggle? And we don't just struggle with bad authority. I mean, bad authority is one thing, my goodness, and let me be the first to admit, not all authority is good authority. As a matter of fact, every human being who's ever been in authority over you, including this one, every single one of those people needs a savior. They're not always gonna say the right thing. Sometimes they won't say anything that's good at all. Sometimes they'll just say wrong things. You know why? Because we need a savior. Anybody who's got any authority positions in the room would say amen to that. Parents in the room, Do you say the right thing all the time? Let me ask you this. How's your temper when your kids do something crazy? You're not the perfect authority. So it's not, it's easy to say we don't like authority with bad authority, but here's the problem. We don't like good authority. It's not just bad authority. That's easy. But even good authority we struggle with. Why are we so skeptical? Why? We're in an age of skepticism. Why is that? Is that new? Is that a new thing? The 2022, all of a sudden, we're skeptical people? It's not new. It's not new. It goes all the way back to what the Bible calls the curse, the lie. It's Genesis 3. It's the first time that anti-authority was introduced into the world. And it was by the serpent. We're taking a break from Mark today because as pastors, as leaders, other leaders in the church, we have come to realize that we need to pause um, and in our community groups, we need to face head on the reality of the world. You are a disciple. You are, whether you follow Jesus or not, you're a disciple. The whole world is constantly discipling you into ways of thinking, changing your mind, changing your heart. And one of those is that you are the highest authority. And what we need to do as a church, and we're gonna do it, it's gonna take us a while in our community groups over the next year, year and a half or so. We're gonna start counterforming what the world is forming us into. And we're just calling it discipleship. We need the word of God, we need the truth of God to rewire our brains, to see reality the way God has intended. The most important thing we can do is learn about and submit to the authority of God and say, yes, we follow Jesus, we follow Jesus. It's different than the world. So today we're pausing, man. We need to get to the bottom of this authority thing with us. Let's look at the Bible to help us get there. I want to talk about God's authority. We first see it in the very first verse of the Bible. It's Genesis 1-1. God shows us his authority in the beginning of time. Think about those words. He says it here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Notice that what is not said is that in the beginning, God himself was created. God has authority and it's marked even in the first verse of the Bible. And we see it in two primary ways. First is his nature. God was never made. Nobody ever came up with the plan, God. Nobody ever drew the blueprints for God. There is no God outside of God. If someone had created God, that person, that thing, would themselves be God. God himself, Yahweh, was never created. Time began with God. He invented it. Time is something that you need and that I need. God exists outside of time. He is eternal. He's also all-powerful. He's also all knowing. He has all the power. He lacks no power. He is also all knowing. He knows everything. God is also everywhere at once. All the time. He's also never changing. All powerful, all knowing everywhere at once and he does not change. This is the nature of God. He stands alone, there's no one next to him, nobody made God, God is creator, he is not his creation. Listen to me, it's simple, I know, but you have to believe it in your heart. God is not his creation, he is different than his creation. We see it in his nature, we see God's authority in his action. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. Not anyone else. God initiates. He doesn't react. He is the initiator. Jesus himself is the beginning and the end. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Some of you wonder today why you don't have faith. It's because you haven't gone to Jesus. And maybe your faith struggles, I don't know. And there's listen, there's nothing wrong with doubting. Everybody who's honest Doubts. Where do we go with our doubts? We go to the starter and the finisher of faith. You cannot have faith outside of Jesus. You can't have faith in Jesus outside of Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is. He is not his creation. He does not react. He initiates. God did not wait for man to sin before he started writing the plan for salvation. God didn't all of a sudden say, oh no, Man messed up. We did not see this coming. And then go back and like to the drawing board again. It was already drawn. He already knew he is all knowing and all powerful. Do you understand? He does not react. God is the author, not a character. He's the potter, not the clay. We were created. We are creature, not creator. We are a character, not the author. We are clay, we are not the potter. You are clay, you are made to be molded. You are constantly being molded. If not by God, then by something else. It's easy to say yes to all these things in the church setting, but what if reality stopped right then? What if creation happened, God is creator, that's it, that's where reality ends, there's nothing else, there's no experience, no emotion, no human life, no human death, it was just that. What if all we got about God was that he just is God of authority? He's powerful, we're not. He's all-knowing, we're not. And even so far as to say, what if God invented evil instead of goodness? What if, please just go there with me. What if God the creator was actually bad? What if God was self-absorbed? What if he was so insecure? What if God was so insecure that he made man kinda close to him but not actually enough like him where they couldn't revolt against him and the only reason he did that is so he can mess with us through all eternity. What if God were a manipulator? What if God had a temper? What if you never knew what you were going to get with him? What if he was always changing? What if he was always angry and you never knew why? What if God was abusive? What if he made you For eternity, just to fulfill his selfish, gross, evil needs. What if God were like that? The third thing you got to see about his authority, and it's the best news you're going to hear in your life. God is good. His authority is good. Because God is good. There's this refrain that happens time and time again in Genesis one. After God, the good creator, creates everything, afterwards he would say this phrase, it was good, it was good. In Genesis two comes man, the creation of man, God's nature shines even brighter. He's not just good now, we see. God is good, but he's also a sharing God, and he's also a giving God, and he shares with us his image. What a God. He gives part of himself to us. He's not so selfish and self-absorbed that he's the only one that can have part of his image. He stands alone, no doubt. You are creature. He is creator, but he has given you His image. He shares his image. He shares his presence. He even goes so far as to share his authority with man. He delegates authority to them, gives them power and authority over the beasts of the field, over the earth. He's also a giving God. He gives dignity, value, and worth to everybody he's ever created man and woman. Nobody who's ever been created were made outside of the likeness and image of God. No matter how they were created, no matter how they came out of the womb, no matter what, no matter at what stage of creation they were at, that person was formed in their mother's womb in the imago day in the image of God. He gives his dignity and his value and worth to everyone. He gives us relationship with each other. He gives us peace and then purpose. He gives Adam and Eve purpose. He gives creation to us. He gives us pleasure, joy, and beauty. And most of all, the most important thing, this is where it gets crazy. This is where his benevolence gets crazy. He gives us himself, presence with him. That's beyond. That's not just a good God, that's a God who loves. God is, in fact, ruler, and he does have all authority, but his rule and authority are kind and good and loving. In the garden, he gives Adam and Eve this utopian world. It's perfect, and the reason it's perfect is not because they had all the stuff that they ever desired. Their desires were for one thing, God's presence. You know why? Because he made them that way, and it was utopia because they had the thing that they desired, God's presence. That's what made Eden what it was. He surrounded them with all of these things that they could have. It's an entire world of yeses. Yes, you can have that, yes, 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 yes. And just one single no. Have everything except this one thing. And the very reason they couldn't have that thing was because it would lead to death. Even in his restriction, He was for their good. God's authority is good. His restriction was good for them. So what in the world happened? What happened? What happened was a fracture. It's the great rebellion. It's a serpent who came with a lie. Genesis 3, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Let's start there. It's the first time we see the word crafty. It's a direct contrast to the nature and character of God that we see in the first two chapters. This creature is not God. The creature is not made in the image of God. He is, in fact, totally against God. He's a liar, manipulator, and deceiver. And his one goal is to destroy. The Bible would go on to describe him as the father of lies, the accuser of the church. That's the liar, crafty. He comes with a lie. It's the lie of the world. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Deceiver, did God actually say? She knew what God said. And now for the first time in her life, she's questioning what God said because of the manipulator. He's crafty. He plants something in her head. Is he seriously telling you to not do something? Is he seriously restricting you from having something? Confusion, chaos, and doubting God's intentions. This is the distortion that happens with this lie. All of a sudden, our communion with God becomes something other than that. We become a questioner. We become a skeptic. We're skeptical about God's goodness and his authority. Why are we that way? It's because of this lie. It's the lie. Every other lie takes its root in this lie. We distort it in so many ways, four ways I wanna show you real quick. This is where we're going to spend the most of the rest of our time. This lie distorts God's authority. The first way it does that, it does it this way. It tells us that God's authority is, above all else, a burden to us. This lie is full of hypocrisy. It tells us that God isn't for us. It tells us that his authority isn't rooted in goodness. It twists and manipulates us to believe that God is against all the things that He created us to want. He created us to want pleasure and desire and joy. That's how He made us. All of those things are created by God. What the lie does is it totally twists and distorts those things. And now everything gets blended together. Pleasure becomes primarily about you and not about anyone else. And it's not real pleasure, it's just impulsive pleasure. Joy gets replaced with happiness, which will never work. Joy is eternal, it's long-lasting. Joy comes when we're in despair. Joy is that thing that's not a feeling, it's knowing, it's Philippians 4, it's peace that passes understanding. Joyfully make your request known to God. It's not just happiness. Everything gets distorted. The authority of God is a burden to us in this lie. It tells us that we have to question his authority and find life with our own self-authority. None of it's true. The second distortion is this, that God's authority doesn't really apply to you. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. God's authority doesn't really apply to you. Notice her innocence. This seems to be the first time that she's ever thought about whether or not she should eat of the tree in the garden. She always could but now she's thinking about whether or not she should. He's planting something in her heart and mind and now he's gone completely against God in every way. He's convinced her that God has lied to her and that she is somehow mistaken and that he did not actually mean her. God's authority doesn't apply to you. It mattered for others, it doesn't matter for you. Go about your business, do what you want to do. Maybe for you, it'll produce life instead of death. Live on the edge, man. I trust me, sounds appealing to me. That's the lie in the garden. You will not surely die, it will be different for you. The third distortion is that God's authority keeps you from ever becoming your true and whole self. For God knows, Genesis 3, 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So much irony here. They, Adam and Eve, were already made in the image of God. They were already like God in so many ways. The serpent was not like God. He lies to them and he says, God knows that when you eat it, you will become fully God. Not just like him. They were already like him in so many ways and the serpent wasn't. They can know what he knows. See what he sees, do what he does and we keep believing this, man. We'll never drill down enough to actually talk about it this way but this is at the core of our rebellion in life. The core of every sin is that I am God. I'm gonna make God in my image meaning when God says something that I don't agree with When God, through this book, his word, gives me something that I don't like? Well, then we say, well, God is not actually good enough. I need God to think more like me. Surely God did not say this. Well, that would be so oppressive. That would be so against me, what I know to be right for myself. The lie distorts. It forgets that God's authority is good. God's restrictions lead to life and not death. The fourth distortion is this, that a life of beauty and goodness comes only from rebelling against God's authority. 3.6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. The lie's done its job. It's taken root. It's now their reality. God's authority has been questioned and rebelled against. They believe now that God is not good. And therefore his authority is not for our good. This lie is what the Bible calls... The fall. Why is the world so messed up? Why are we so despairing? Why is everybody so angry? Why does it feel like we're living under some kind of curse? Well, because we are. We are. The fall fractured everything. The belief in this lie fractured it all. All of a sudden, we're out of communion with each other. We're out of relationship with God fully and now we're at war with each other, relationships are broken, people are broken, primarily because we keep believing this lie. It fractured everything. You can be God, God's authority is not for your good, it's all distorted and messed up. The entire story of humanity is a story of addiction. We keep on coming back to this lie and maybe this time, it'll work for us because it doesn't apply to me. Maybe this lie, I can be God, maybe it will work. We are addicts, we are, we're addicted to wanting to be God. What actually happens is they were promised life, they were promised God's power and his knowledge and his being everywhere at once, they were promised God's never changing, they were promised to be God by the serpent and what actually happens is they become a slave to the serpent. He's crafty. We try to break free from God's authority and instead we become bound and more bound at every turn. What we thought would give us life gives us death instead. Instead of life Instead of more pleasure, pleasure gets distorted and full of danger and pain. Instead of work being good and worthwhile, it becomes mixed with depression and anxiety and workaholism and laziness. Sex becomes selfish and unsatisfying. Marriage gets mixed with enmeshment and also jealousy and annoyance. Love bends towards obsession and idolatry. Wine gets mixed with addiction. The most ironic thing is that Adam and Eve, and this is probably the saddest part, they never did actually escape God's authority. God is still God. Even in their rebellion, God remains God. They're still creature, He's still creator. What happens instead is they miss out on all the benefits of his authority and death enters in. We're all living right now in the byproduct of this decision. The Bible describes Adam as the representative for all of mankind. Adam sinned and we sin. Adam died, and therefore we died. All of us are in the same struggle as Adam and Eve. There is still a liar. We are still buying the lie. We still believe that God's authority is a burden to us, that God's authority doesn't apply to us, that God's authority keeps us from being our true and best self. We still believe that our life would be beautiful and complete and fulfilling if I go my own way and I decide for myself. The entirety of human existence and the story of the Bible is about one thing. God himself coming to be obedient, to do what we could never do in Jesus on our behalf. The gospel itself is about Jesus coming as a new and better Adam to reverse the effects of the curse, and to restore us to reconciliation to the Father. You never could, you cannot. You don't have it in you to do it. You are under the curse. The gospel is this, God himself came and became man. He did what we could never do. In Genesis three, they fall to the tempter, to the temptation. Jesus comes on the scene. He goes out into the wilderness. Satan tempts him for 40 days. He offers him all the kingdoms of the earth, way more than you've ever been tempted with. I don't know anybody in this room that Satan has ever come to and offer all the kingdoms of the earth. He offered them to Jesus. Jesus did what we could not do in Adam. He resists the devil. He rebukes him. He withstands temptation. Hebrew says that Jesus has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. He's a sufficient high priest. The story of the gospel is this. And the good news today is God in his goodness comes himself, perfectly submits to the Father Perfectly obeys him. And in doing that, he crushes the head of the serpent. He's Christ the victor. And he substitutes his obedience for us on the cross. He's our substitution. He fully submits to the Father's authority on our behalf. In Matthew 26 in the garden, he says this. My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me; nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We say not your will but my will. Jesus says not mine but yours. Philippians 2 describes Jesus like this, it says he did not see equality with God as a thing to be grasped, even though he was God. He did not see equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he Emptied himself. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. We never could. He did for us. Perfect obedience. He gave the Father fully his life, He gave him fully his obedience. And he is now fully exalted and he is the only way that we get reconciled back to the Father. My invitation for you today is this, man, look. I've said some hard things today, but they're real. Lay down your rights. Stop trying to fight for your own authority over your life. It has gotten you nowhere. It has not worked out for us. Lay down your rights. Give your life, your whole life, your whole self, give it to Jesus, trust him fully. Lay down your life. If any man wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's Jesus' words, that's the invitation today. If you're a Christian in the room, remember God's authority Remember his goodness, he is good. Remember his kindness to you. Come to the table today, come to communion and repent and submit once again to him. And if you don't know Jesus or maybe you've been to church a billion times, a billion would be a lot, but maybe it's possible, I don't know. Maybe you're in a church a lot of times and you're thinking to yourself, man, I know church, but I don't know if I know Jesus. Man, you're in a safe place. There's lots of people in this part of the world that go to church a lot but don't know Jesus. Come. Come, give your life, your whole heart to Jesus. I'm telling you, he really is actually this good. He really is. If you're not a Christian, maybe this is all new to you. Maybe you're here to just kind of explore the faith. See what it's about. Maybe you walked into this room today because... You feel the pressure and stress and anxiety of this world and you know how everything is upside down and crazy it's ever been. Maybe you're like, man, maybe I'll go to church. Maybe they've got some answers. I mean, I don't have a magic wand, but I can tell you straight up, man, the only answer for you is that this isn't new. It's a byproduct of the curse and Jesus actually came to reverse the curse. He's the only hope you have in life and death. Either way, man, whatever your state is today, We're with you, we're proud of you for being here. Come to communion, come take the bread and wine and repent. Let's remember Jesus together as a family. Let's stand.